Hi, I'm Andy McDonald, Senior Pastor of Whole Life Church here in Orlando, Florida. We're a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational congregation, a faith community committed to our mission to love people into lifelong friendship with God. And we're committed to our vision to be a church without walls, fully engaged in serving the people of our community. Thank you for joining us as we continue Speaking of Grace. Well, it's been fun to be in the Caribbean this morning. I had a little bit of cognitive dissonance. Did anybody else have a problem today with this? I, I, I'm singing with this reggae tunes and this island feel, and I'm looking at snow-capped mountains for one of the songs. And, and I was just having this, I was having this cognitive dissonance moment um, because I thought, well, it, palm trees would have been nice. I, I, anyway, uh, let's pray. Father, we pray as we open your word to this place where you talk about having heard one thing and now speaking another to us, may our minds be open and may you teach us what you'd have us know as my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. In our text for today, Jesus is going to, he's going to address this huge human hunger. I mean, it's a huge human hunger, the desire for payback, the, the desire to, you know, to, to, to retaliate, to seek revenge, to get right again when we've truly been wronged. This ugliness of sin is so embedded in us as humans that it shows up when we're just little bitty children. You know, the, 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 um, the toy that I have, that, that I hold in my hand as a little toddler, I think of that toy as mine. You, you think of it as yours. That's, that's, that's normal. And if somebody else comes along and maybe they're faster or bigger or older or stronger and they snatch away my toy, I want it back. And I don't just want it back. Because, because you took it from me, I want it back plus a little more. I want my toy, to which I'm sure I have rights. Uh, I want it back, but not just getting it back doesn't seem to, to even the score sufficiently. Your behavior, if you've snatched it from me, your behavior needs to be curtailed. I got to somehow stop you. You need to suffer some punishment. I mean, sure, I, I want my toy back, uh, but I want it back with something additional of yours as well. <laughs> you know, one of your toys or, or the, the retribution of an adult in your world, you know, something like that, or, or the loss of some privilege that you've enjoyed. I, I want you to suffer for your wrong, for what you did to me when you took my toy. It would be such a wonderful, wonderful gift of grace if we just naturally outgrew that as we got older. You know, that childish notion, <laughs> but we don't. Instead, we arrive at school, and there's a disagreement on the playground, and, and you get punched. You get punched, and there is absolutely no satisfaction in punching back at the same velocity and the same force that we were punched. The only thing that we'll do is to punch back just a little harder, to get our due with a little punishment tax added on. And often while the boys are duking it out on the playground, the girls may be acting out a less physical but 
maybe sometimes even more painful, one of shunning or conniving to get the other person back with just a little more pain than was received. Time passes by and our teen years arrive and there are peer, peer alliances. You know how they are. You can see them happen on the school campuses that these peers get together. And one peer group may be wounded or blocked or hurt in some way by another peer group. And there can be war among the alliances. This escalation is, is witnessed in gang warfare. You mess with one of our people. So we're going to come and we're going to mess with two of your people. You have to pay, and each escalation demands additional pounds of flesh. In our text for today, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said. And he's now going to quote probably what is considered to be the oldest law in the world. It's called the Lex Talionis. It's described as the law of tit for tat. It appears in the earliest known code of laws, the Code of Hammurabi. And of course, more authoritative than the Code of Hammurabi for the Jews and the followers of Jesus even today would be the three inclusions of this very thing in the Torah, the Pentateuch, those first five books of the Bible. We find similar words to the one Jesus is going to reference in Exodus 21, Leviticus 24, and Deuteronomy 19. And sometimes... (laughs) I don't know about you, but sometimes when we read these words today, they seem just a little barbaric, okay? Jesus mercifully abbreviates uh, the law and only refers to an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Exodus is a little more explicit. It says there, if there is any serious injury, you're to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burned, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. It's a bloody mess. It's just, it's terrible. This comes across a little drastic, don't you think? You bloody my nose, I bloody your nose. More painful in my mind to think about is you knock my tooth out and I get to purposely knock out one of your teeth. Uh, It just sounds horrible. And we might see this as sort of a, a savage and bloodthirsty law. The reality is that this law was the beginning of mercy. It was a law. It was a law to limit vengeance, to limit payback. In a more tribal society, this law could reduce vengeance, war, and tribes killing each other. You know, one member of a tribe is accidentally or purposefully hurt or injured, um, and the other tribe goes to war with them, not satisfied with equal treatment, but only with vengeance, which restores equally and then punishes on top of that. What this law was meant to restrain was going after what we want, that extra pound of flesh. After proper restoration or some sense of fairness had been followed, we want that little extra. Maybe more importantly, this this law wasn't meant to and and never, never gave a private individual the right to indulge even in vengeance of tit for tat. This this law code, these words both in scripture and in the ancient law codes are to instruct and guide judges who are sentencing those who are guilty of some kind of violent or unjust deed. And the reality is that in any even sort of semi-civilized semi, uh, society, this law was never followed literally. 
the principle was that the punishment should fit the crime. And so various injuries were assigned values. They, they put money values on different things. And so they would be, these fines would be levied as payback or to be charged by the court or judge to pay for damages. Sounds a lot like our world today a little. Even in the First Testament, there are other ethics that come into play. Just five chapters prior to the Lex Talionis showing up in Leviticus, Leviticus 19, it says this, you shall not take vengeance or bear any grudge against the sons of your own people. Long before Jesus arrives in the sin and where he's teaching this thing, Proverbs says, if your enemy is hungry, give him something to eat. If he's thirsty, give him a drink of water. Later in Proverbs, do not say, I will do him as he has done to me. Jesus quotes this code of ethics meant to instruct judges. This, this pattern of speech, you have heard that it was said, but I say to you, indicating that something different is coming. Now remember that this whole sermon of Jesus on the mount is a call and a challenge and instruction for those who will, will be wise enough to listen and build their houses on the rock of his teaching. It's a call and an instruction for us to live our very best lives. What life is to look like for those who are part of kingdom life, that live their lives as part of the kingdom. And Jesus is now going to say that our best life, your best life, my best life, our best life isn't one of just limiting our vengeance to tit for tat, eye for eye, tooth for tooth but rather that our, our best life, your best life, my best life, our best life is one lived without resentment, without a spirit, uh, uh, I mean with a spirit of non-retaliation. It's like Jesus is saying, yeah, 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 you've, you've, you've heard the old eye for eye, tooth for tooth law of limited vengeance, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you and take your tunic, offer him your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Jesus says, when Jesus says don't resist an evil person, he, he's not not talking in our encouraging neglect of duty to protect one's family, his wife and kids. He isn't saying as followers of his to just fold our arms and, and you know, just allow wicked people to, to hurt other people. We have ethical responsibility to stop evil when possible. What Jesus is saying is for our best life, for your best life, for the happiest and healthiest life as one of his followers, do not seek revenge for wrongs suffered. And it may not make sense to you as we go through this passage. It may seem foolish. It may not feel good what Jesus asks of those who, of us who claim to be his friends and followers. Because first Jesus uses the backhanded slap across the face. You know, a person strikes you on your, on your, on your right cheek. You know, most, you're not thinking about people laugh, left-handed striking you on your right cheek. It'd be the back of a hand that would slap a person on the right cheek. It's a very, uh, it's a symbol of all the insults, all the insults, from minor little insults to major gross insults. What did Jesus' followers do with insults? They turned the other cheek. 
which means that you take it. You take it. You receive the insult with no retaliation, no self-justification, no resentment that would lead to revenge. Most people believe that when, when we truly are wrong, that there, there's really only two ways to get satisfaction in either of these two places. Absolute forgiveness on one side and mortal vindication or payback on the other. But if Jesus is correct, and I think he is, satisfaction can only be had in one of those two, on the side of absolute forgiveness. So the proper payback for insults, people insult you, the proper payback is forgiveness. Next, Jesus says, if you're involved in someone suing you to take your tunic, give them your cloak as well. Now, even the poor people in Jesus' day probably had more than one tunic. It was a long cotton or linen garment. Uh, think of, in our culture, think T-shirt or like a nightgown you know, with a long, a long one. Uh, but the cloak, the cloak was the outer garment that people wore as a robe all day, and then they used it as a blanket in the evening. And there were, there were rules about your rights to your cloak. People had their rights. You, if you gave your cloak as a pledge in some kind of deal, the, the, raw, the law was you had a right to get that cloak back before dark. By right, a man's cloak could not be taken from him permanently. This illustration is Jesus teaching us as followers of his to be willing to lay down our rights. Crazy talk, isn't it? I mean, if we were awake at all during 2020, you know, it shouldn't be hard for us to recognize the, the hugely counter-cultural nature of Jesus' teaching. It's always been radical, but it's in an age when, when, when everyone is demanding their rights. And if my rights conflict with your rights, what right do you have to, to limit my rights to achieve your rights? Everyone seems to be screaming, I have my rights. I want my rights. Give me my rights. And Jesus is saying, we aren't to be consumed by making sure our rights are guarded. Boy, that's hard, isn't it? You know, you have your rights. And to be able to say, Jesus is saying, don't spend a lot of energy trying to guard your rights. It may be right to be able to be, to, to be sued, sued for your tunic, but I have my rights to my cloak. By rights, it can't be taken from me permanently. It's a huge example of the follower and the friend of Jesus being willing to lose rights, to lay down rights. The Christian writes, Barclay, thinks not of his rights, but of his duties. Not of his privileges, but of his responsibilities. The follower and the friend of Jesus is the person who has forgotten that they have any rights at all. Wow. Jesus' third illustration, after the slap in the face, uh, representing all insults and the, the lawsuit where you throw in your cloak, which you have the rights to keep, the third illustration of the way of nonviolence, of non-resistance, of not, no vengeance is about going the extra mile. Now, the people of Jesus' day, and really the people of any day, our day, suffer from the demands of the powerful. 
People suffer from the demands of the powerful because, because they could, they did, because they can, they will. The soldiers occupying the land there of Jesus in Israel had the authority, they had the right, the privilege, the authority to demand that any ordinary citizen carry their soldier's pack or their burden or their load or whatever they were carrying for one mile. In the road to the cross, Simon Cyrene is conscripted, conscripted into this load carrying as he's compelled by the Roman soldier carry Jesus' cross. It was a most inconvenient and irritating and humiliating reality. In fact, people would like sneak through the woods, you know, try to try to find another way between places so they wouldn't be on the main road where they could be conscripted. Or they'd go down and walk along the creek bank to try to avoid the soldiers who might conscript them. It was, it was most irritating. You're in a hurry to an important meeting and you're delayed because the soldier conscripts you and you're irritated and you do your duty. You carry his pack for him and as soon as you cross the mile marker they actually had mile markers because of this of this rule so that people would know when they've been a whole mile you drop that load and you disappear as soon as you hit your your mark and jesus says no that's not how my followers do it When, when they're compelled to carry the load one mile you do so with cheerfulness and good grace Chat up your soldier, you know, get to know this guy, you know, you know ask him about his family, whatever. You know, you do it with, with, with cheerfulness and good grace. And then at the mile marker, you just keep on going, whistling a happy tune on your journey to the next mile marker. Lay down not just the burden, but any resentment, any wish to retaliate, any seeking of vengeance. Jesus' last piece of teaching related to this new ethic beyond limited vengeance almost doesn't seem to fit. He says, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Really? We don't think of it as vengeance toward the one uh, in, in need when we don't give to them. We, we may actually imagine that our refusal to give is sort of noble, that somehow we're protecting the needy from laziness. I mean, we're teaching them. We're teaching them that a lesson. If they would just be more industrious and get a job and work like we do, then they wouldn't need to ask for a handout or to borrow. It's sort of a lex talionis in reverse. We won't give you any help, and that way you won't owe us. If we don't loan to you, then you won't have to worry about paying us back. And Jesus says no. Even reverse eye for eye isn't for my followers. Instead, instead of vengeance for the poor and retaliation against those in need who are, or who are looking to borrow, give and lend expecting nothing in return. I have to ask, will this work? Is Jesus serious? I mean, can, can we really live like this in the 21st century? I mean, seriously, is this, is this just some kind of crazy teaching or philosophy of Jesus that he just sort of shared it so we could sit around maybe a Sabbath school class and discuss it or maybe a campfire and, and talk about it or over dinner we can fill our imaginations with imaginings of how this might possibly someday work? Will this work? Yes. Yes, it will. 
the miracle of God's forgiveness of us. The reality that that we have not been treated as our sins deserve. God's love deposited in our lives can can move us away from repaying evil for evil. It, It wasn't the sons of thunder, James and John's natural bent either. You may remember the story that Jesus and his disciples are heading up to Jerusalem and they have to pass through Samaria. And so James and John sort of run ahead a little bit to the Samaritan village and they ask the arrangements so that Jesus might and they might stay there in that little village. And they're refused. The Samaritans so hated Jerusalem that the fact that Jesus was going there, they said no. And James and John experienced the brunt of this inhospitable response and, and they, they asked Jesus when they got back, Lord, do you want us to call down from heaven fire and destroy that whole Samaritan village? In the distance, they could see Mount Carmel where the fire had fallen on the prophets of Baal and destroyed them. And they are ready. They are ready. I mean, their trigger finger is ready to, to squeeze the trigger that they might call down this vengeance on this Samaritan village for their inhospitality. And Jesus had to rebuke them because the spirit of vengeance and retribution and payback is utterly alien to the spirit of Christ. The spirit of revenge is not the spirit of Christ. But Jesus, Jesus got inside James and John. Christ in them became their hope of glory. I believe that James and John could have echoed Paul eventually and say, I have died, but Christ now lives in me. John was so transformed by love that he wrote these words. We know that we live in him and he in us because he has given us of the spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father, the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. And if anyone If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in him and he in God. And so we know and rely on the love of God, the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. So Jesus' teaching this day is real. We can live not just beyond tit for tat. We can live without resistance, taking insults, not demanding our rights, generously going the second mile and giving to those who ask, not because we are so great or because we've become some, attained some great level of obedience. No, but because God, God on account of Jesus has filled us with his spirit and he lives in us and reveals us as his people because we love. And just like Jesus and his father were one, by Jesus, we too become one with the father. And God in us loves enough to not resist. And God in us loves enough to to absorb insults. And God in us loves enough to lay down our rights. And God in us loves enough to go a second mile. And God in us loves enough to be generous, to be generous with those in need. And this is why people, people in our world will recognize recognize us as Christians because of God's love in us. Hi, this is Randy McGray. 
podcast producer and host here at Whole Life Church. Loving people into a lifelong friendship with God is our mission at the Whole Life Church and our podcasts, Speaking of Grace and its companion, 15 with Andy, Randy, and Jeff, are designed to help facilitate conversations that help us grow together in that pursuit. Now that you've heard the message for this week, don't forget to check out the Whole Life Takeaways for this message. Swipe up in today's show notes and join the conversation. Speaking of conversations, each Wednesday morning we take a closer look at the week's message. That's right, the one you just listened to. We discuss practical ways to apply spiritual lessons and ask honest questions about the issues we face as Christians. All focused through the lens of grace. Your voice is a welcomed addition to that conversation. We encourage your thoughts and your questions by sending a voicemail or text to 407-965-1607 or send an email to podcast at wholelife.church. You can find everything podcast-related on our website, wholelife.church slash podcast. And plan on spending every Tuesday evening and Wednesday morning with us as we bring you the Whole Life Church inspiration you love straight into your headphones. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.